Welcome to Michigan in Focus, powered by the Center Square and a production of America's Talking Network. I'm Scott McClellan, our Michigan reporter, who's replacing Bruce Walker, who's currently out on vacation. Our mission is to fund high-quality public interest journalism that promotes accountability and fiscal responsibility in government. To support great podcasts like this one, please donate by clicking the link in the show description. We are recording this podcast on September 8th, 2022, and joining me today is Tom Gantert, a managing editor of the Center Square who has worked for daily papers, including the Ann Arbor News, the Lansing State Journal, and USA Today. Thank you for joining me today, Tom. Thanks for having me. So I wanted to talk about a development in the Flint water crisis that could add uh, roughly $37 million to taxpayers' bill for this trial. So this week, Michigan Supreme Court ruling might augment the 2014 Flint water crisis litigation costs to $90 million after the top court rejected Attorney General Dana Nessel's appeal of a decision that she must use a taint team to separate illegal documents. So for some background here, Nessel tried to appeal a ruling from the Seventh Circuit Court Judge Elizabeth Kelly that halted lawsuit discovery until Nessel enacted a taint team to review documents before they were given to attorneys. So Nessel's big pushback against uh, this review is that she says that an independent review of between 1 million to 17 million documents might take more than seven years and cost taxpayers an additional $37 million. So for those who are counting, the trial since 2016 has cost about $53 million so far. That's uh, just a brief introduction, Tom. What do you have to say about this? Is this um, a surprise? The Flint water crisis started in 2014, so it's it's entering its second decade now. Um, there's been a lot of reports that uh, that since then of communities in Michigan that have had water that was as bad or worse than Flint. Um, there's a uh, uh, a lot of um, there's a lot of background on this that I think about that. You know, I started reporting in Michigan in 1983. When I was in Ann Arbor, there was uh, Sue McCormick was the head of the water department, and she was, you know, in 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 that city uh, in about I'm going to give you the proper year, about 2002 or 2003, when she took over. The city did not know where the water pipes were, and they were finding out uh, where the water pipes were um, when they had uh, water breaks. And then they had to go to fix them, and that's where they had they had their paper records were were old. And even back then, there was reports of, uh, you know, how how many municipalities in this country were behind on infrastructure for taking care of their water system. That's kind of the backdrop of what happened with Flint, uh, where they were trying to um, find a cheaper way to get water, um, and. I guess, you know, one of the, I guess, the hidden secrets about uh, this whole crisis is what was happening two and three years before in the city of Flint with the mismanagement that was going on among the city council and the city leaders in terms of uh, handling their water. So, like, um, there was a report that came out done by the city um in 2011, uh, this was done because the city of Flint was going through um, financial problems and was about to be taken over by the state. So the city did a review, and when they did that, they found out that city officials were taking money 
from a dedicated municipal water fund to pay for other uses, the rating the water fund. So right. like water, water service revenues are used to pay for unrelated city spending. Uh, and at that time, the, the water fund had a $9 million deficit in 2011. So that kind of laid the ground for everything that followed about, um, you know, in terms of the, the costs uh, involved. Uh, I think this, when it's all said and done, this probably will go down as one of the biggest screw-ups, perhaps in the history of Michigan. Yeah, I'm definitely going to keep drinking bottled water, uh, no matter what my government says, uh, you know, how safe the water is. It, it was handled incredibly poorly by the Snyder administration. I mean, just completely tone deaf uh, to, you know, what was going on. Uh, you know, you go down and see photos of what the water was, it looked like, and it was brown. It's, it's this thing started in 2014, and I think we'll still be talking about it 10 years from now. Wonder what the taxpayer costs will be at that time. And 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 I wonder in ten years if their water will be any will be any better in terms of of, of getting it fixed. And uh, this ruling is another blow to the Flint trial, which follows a June ruling that a judge wrongly indicted multiple public officials by using a one man jury. State investigation leaders Wayne County Prosecutor Kim Worthy and Solicitor General Fadwa Hamoud says that the decision quote does not alter the prosecution's course of action moving forward and vigorously pursuing the crimes committed against the people of Flint, end quote. Yeah, and what about the city council members and the mayor who were doing things, you know, you know two years before this had set it up? I mean, they walked away with, with almost no uh, consequences or no review. So it, it seems like, it just seems to me, like, I, I don't, like the Snyder administration for what they did deserves all the, the criticism they get. Um, but it seems like they weren't the only ones that dropped the ball on the city of foot and water yet. they they seem to be the focus of the, you know, the, the hunt to, uh, blame people for what would happen. Perfect. Uh, I'm going to move on to where I wanted to talk briefly about the amount of COVID relief that schools are receiving and kind of walk through that. So in 2020, Michigan, shut down many much in-person learning for its schools and to help students recover learning loss the federal government gave michigan uh, about 5.7 billion dollars of covid relief spread out through uh, you know about three or four years to recover learning loss now uh, the districts that got the most money were uh, usually in poor communities so detroit public schools got 1.2 billion dollars of relief flint schools got $156 million of relief. Lansing schools got $107 million of relief. And right now, these school districts statewide are spending down that money. They're spending on on student learning recovery. They're giving staff pay increases. And with the final round of money, they're heavily spending on capital improvement projects. Tom, has there been any time in your memory that there has been billions of dollars of windfall to Michigan schools like this? No, no. Uh, there, there's so many things that would need to be addressed. One of them is uh, uh, percentage of, of schools that have spent money. Uh, we are now two years past it in the, the reports that I've seen that, that you know, only as much as 50% has been spent. Of only 50% of the money has been spent, then how much money did you really need? Because we're through the brunt of most of the COVID issues. There's a vaccine now. Um, you know, there's so, but I think you brought up something about 
the amount of money. So mm-hmm. you take a, a school that's fairly affluent, that has an affluent community, such as maybe, uh, uh, let's talk about Mount Pleasant. So Mount, or, or Midland Public Schools, uh, you know, where, uh, so Midland Public Schools uh, got $15 million in COVID relief money. Wow. Okay. That comes to $2,000 per pupil that it received. Um, and if you look at Flint, uh, Flint got 51000 per pupil. So the comparison is Midlands gets, gets 2000 per pupil and, and Flint gets 51000 Well, why is that? Well, it's because basically the formula that they used for determining how districts get money was, was modeled after um, the Title I. And Title I uh, bases and, and weighs a lot of the, the funding formula on uh, the percentage of students that are free or reduced lunch. So the poor communities uh, that have schools like Flint uh, are going to get, you know, 51,000. And there's a lot of com- uh, communities who have fewer pupils uh, that are in um, on free or reduced lunch. They're going to get 2,000, 3,000. But if you look at Benton Harbor, which is a, a really poor area, I think 40% of the people there are, are in, live in poverty. Um, they got 29,500 uh, per pupil. So there's a, there's a huge disparity between um, school districts and, and the money they're get, that they're getting. Um, and um, it's, it's, it's one of the things that I, I haven't seen reported a lot where, where you know, you have a community like well, Detroit gets twenty six thousand seven hundred per pupil, and you know there's districts the the richer suburbs or other more affluent suburbs are getting three thousand, you know. So the, there's a there's a huge gap there between the amount of money that that um, school districts are getting for this kind of recovery. Um, that's the first thing. Um, there's another part that we're going to talk about uh, that is uh, you know the the learning. Uh, curve their gaps uh and uh that's kind of tied to this too um but you know i'll let you introduce that topic so the center square has filed more than 80 public records requests for school covid spending and we're waiting on many of them but yeah i just i the amount of money that some schools received just kind of boggles my mind i mean flint received 156 million dollars i'm very curious to see how they're spending that and how these schools justify uh, one priority over another. So for example, if they're trying to add a bunch of learning recovery, they might hire tutors or behavioral uh, experts versus uh, other schools are spending on heavily on infrastructure. So for example, Detroit Public Schools plans to spend about $700 million on capital improvement projects. Or, or a lot of schools are going to do what Flint did, which is just give mm-hmm. twenty two thousand five hundred to every employee. Yeah, um, uh, and you know that that's been reported what they did. Um, there, there's a lot tied in to COVID uh, and spending. So let, let's talk about um, you know we talk about the remote learning uh, and the problems that that that's created. Um, not only uh, that we're seeing in in poor. Uh, poor testing uh, results, but we're also seeing that in the emotional needs of the students. Um, so that's led to um, a lot of things where now um, school districts are trying to focus on the emotional needs of students and, and are hiring uh, more counselors. Uh, and that's been a huge focus 
on um, on hiring in school districts to address uh, um, students' needs because they were out of school for however long. It did vary per district, but um, you know, for for my grandson who lives in Jackson, he was out of school and doing remote for it seems over a year and a half, um, on and off. You mm-hmm. know. So, you know, and, you know, some, he was in hybrid. So once in a while he was home and an incredible disruption to families, you know, who have to have to, uh, you know, live week for week, day to day to determine whether they have to get a babysitter or take time off from work or bring their child to work, um, that kind of thing. So um, that's going to be an added expense you're going to see down the road uh, where you're going to see uh, counselors hired and that's going to be embedded in schools. I mean, it's it's not like once they hire these people. I mean, I, the big concern is going to be this is one time money, mm-hmm. this incredible influx of money. It's not going to be coming back. So, and we're seeing in police departments and in in firefighters where cities are using this to hire full time employees. And that's what uh, you know. Well, what do you do when the money runs out and the employees still around? That's, that's a great question. Money. You know. Well, what what happens is is that you end up either having to lay them off or you end up, uh, you know, uh, getting more money. Um, so that's the thing. This is a, there, uh, you know, I think also it's, let's, let's remember that it was the, the problems that the districts are facing right now due to the, you know, poor test scores and the, uh, you know, and the emotional needs of the students is, is people are coming to, to realize it was due to the remote learning. Mm-hmm. And it didn't work. And I think I think it was the New York governor that just came out and said it was a big, huge mistake. Um, so that said, let's not forget that it was the unions that were pushing that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it was the, uh, the Detroit Federation of Teachers that uh, voted to authorize a safety strike because they were they were told to, you know, get back in the classrooms. And they said, we'll strike before we do that. And strikes are illegal. You know, it is illegal in Michigan. I'm very curious to see how long it's going to take students to recover from a lot of this learning loss, even with uh, so much money flooding into schools for academic intervention. Uh, I'm just, I'm not sure how long it's going to take. And I'm, I'm also curious the point you made about COVID spending actually driving up school district costs. I'm curious to see when, so this, the federal COVID money can be spent through fiscal year 2024, which is about 2023. So these schools have, uh, you know, a, about a year to spend all the rest of this money. So I'm very curious to see what schools are going to, how schools are going to spend this money when they're up against a deadline. Yeah. And, and I guess the, the bigger question is like with half the money still not spent from the reports that we've seen, was it necessary? Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're, we're entering 2023 and there, we're not, we're not in the, the, the pandemic of 2020. When, uh, you know, we have a lot more understanding of it, uh, there's, you know, death rates are down um, and uh, there's there's a lot more understanding of what we're dealing with. So a lot of that money, I wonder if it was truly necessary. Well, at least the third round of COVID funding, the ESSER one, uh, from what I've seen, school districts are heavily spending on capital improvements, replacing roofs, uh, in some cases, demolishing entire schools or resurfacing running tracks. The the spending has uh, been all over the board that I've seen. But let's, let's move on to how uh, Michigan students' test scores are doing 
since COVID. So about you know two years after Michigan shuttered in-person learning at schools because of COVID-19, state and federal test scores show that students' learning still has not recovered. That's according to the 2022 Michigan Student Test of Educational Progress that says about 41.6% of third graders tested proficient in English language arts down from 42.8% in 2021 and 45.1% in 2019. Uh, ELA scores for third graders through eighth grade and 11th graders all dropped between 2021 and 2022. Uh, scores increase in three of seven grades in math. So, Tom, what do you think of these results? Uh, to anybody who's actually experienced what remote learning was, it should be a surprise to no one. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a, a, a 12-year-old grandson who uh, goes to a school district here in Jackson County. And uh I was able to witness what he was doing throughout the pandemic. And there were days where he was uh, had, where he was online uh, less than an hour a day. Um, there were days where he was supposed to be online and it just got canceled. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not pointing fingers or blaming anybody, but un- under the circumstances to expect uh, not to see a, a learning loss under those conditions would be um, unrealistic. So, you know, I, I, I guess I always get back to um, it, it's, you know, the unions now are the ones saying about all the damage and, you know, the need to hire counselors to deal with the damage of this. You know, what were they thinking in 2020 when they were the ones standing in front of the door saying you can't open schools? Mm-hmm. You know, so, I mean, it, it's of course you're going to see uh, based on what I saw. Um, you're going to see a reduction in learning. It's inevitable based on what would happen. The the state scores follow a federal report detailing the most significant education decline in decades. Uh, according to the report, quote, average scores for age nine students in 2022 declined five points in reading and seven points in math compared to 2020. The report said that it was the largest average score decline in reading since 1990 and the first ever score decline in math. That uh, that line really surprised me. The largest average score decline in reading since 1990. And, that concerns me. Yeah, and it's going to take, you know, the, the depending, there's so many reports out on this. I don't know if you've ever read studies and stuff like that. On, uh, but, I mean, there was one study I was looking at that said lives will be shortened mm-hmm. uh, due to this, due to all sorts of things um, that, that, can be traced back to um, shutting down schools for uh, a year and a half. So yeah, it was tragic, um, you know, uh, you know. But if you go back in time, uh, you, this, the same people who are uh, expressing concern the most were the ones most avidly against opening the schools. So you know, I, I there's a sense in me that just wants to say, I told you, know, I told you so. For all of us that thought that there should be the last thing would be to shut down the schools, you know, especially when you were looking at children were the least ones, uh, the people least impacted by COVID, thank God. You know? Yeah. The same report said that in 2020, students who struggled the most, which are those in the 10th percentile, started losing reading gains over the long term. Now, schools were, Michigan schools were shut down in 2020, but even as of early 2022, 
uh, Flint schools and many Metro Detroit schools were still going remote for multiple reasons. So, you know, this triggers so many emotions in me about, about, Mm -hmm. you know, when you're talking about children, but how many stories have we seen? And we've written, I've even written a few where, uh, you know, children were still asked to wear masks, but then you'd see all these political rallies and the same people would, you know, these same educators would show up at, at conferences and we were seeing photos and conferences of them not wearing masks, mm-hmm. you know, and there was this throughout this whole thing, there was this double standard and hypocrisy that kind of added to the, the, um, the anger of people who, when you take schooling away from children, uh, and then when they do come make them wear masks, you know, and, you know, the, the, the enforcement of that when it wasn't taken seriously by these very same people when it came to their own lives. I mean, the number of public officials that were enforcing masks that were caught not doing it in their own daily lives, it was dozens just in Michigan. You know, there, I, we were getting, um, when I was, as a news reporter, I was getting pictures of people sending and it was just like, there were so many, you know, uh, you know, what was that? County health directors who were uh, caught on Facebook at weddings, you know, not social distancing, not wearing masks, but the children had to wear masks and that school districts, they were mandating that. So it was like, you know, there was this hypocrisy that was tied into all of this. And then not right now, what you're talking about is we're sharing the more serious consequences, you know, um, that can be measured. You know, what can't be measured is the mental toll it took on students. We're just seeing now the academic problems with it, but you know, the, 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 the larger concern uh, among school, school officials right now is, how did this affect them uh, emotionally? Do you think that these, the consequences of shuttering in-person school, do you think the effects will be largely seen more in uh, a reduced workforce or uh, possibly more kids dropping out of school? Because, I mean, if, if you can't read, your life is going to be significantly more difficult. Than- you, know, you know, I tell you what I, th- I think is going to happen is that... Um, Taking people out of schools and putting them in remote situations is, I think, down the road, opened up the the people to the world to education without public schools. Mm-hmm. I think eventually what you're going to see is more people homeschooling. Uh, you know, when the, uh, you know, the hypocrisy we saw with face masks and, you know, the, the vaccinations were... Uh, right now, school districts, uh, many school districts, you have to be vaccinated for many um, things uh, to be able to enter. If we see a mandated for a vaccine for students, you're going to see uh, public schools uh, dramatically change in terms of enrollment. There was a movement that they didn't change mass. They have students taken out and, ha- and homeschool. Mm-hmm. Um that's died pretty much. I've heard nothing about that since then. And it appears to be just what was an empty threat. But I think, um, I think that's going to have the bigger consequences. I, my own, I, you know, I think that eventually what's going to happen is you're going to see in the next two to three to four to five years, uh, a drop in enrollment in public schools uh, in K-12. And I think that's going to be because parents have, have discovered that there is a, life without public schools because it was forced upon them. And now they see, you know, they realize that there's other options out there. Yeah. I just hope that these kids, uh, you know, somewhere can recover the learning loss and 
um, you know, overcome the struggles of what Michigan education has been like for the last two years, because I can guarantee you if I was one of those students who uh, was told to remote learn, I probably would have just closed the computer and walked away. So I, I really feel for these Michigan students. Uh, but, mm -hmm. you, you know, my, my question also is how in the you have enrollment counts? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. how, how could you effectively track if you got 30 kids in the student, how does each teacher know? You know, each one is that, you know, each one's there and, you know, paying attention and has, yeah. you know, taken off and, you know, is playing their Nintendo, you know, at, at the same time. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I do not know of any school districts currently that are still in remote. Mm -hmm. So yeah, same here. You know, I, I guess as a reporter, that was the other thing. It was really, really, really hard. You know, there's over 700 school districts in Michigan, charter schools. It was really hard to find out what what was going on. You know, a lot of the information was outdated by the time it was published by the state. They did have, you know, Michigan State did, did some reports on what was hybrid, what was learning. But by the time it, it was a very fluid situation uh, in the later 2000, early 2001, and the report came out later in 2001 and it was outdated. So you really had no idea the percentage of school districts. You had from school district to school district to figure out what was going on. So, I mean, it was different for every school. Perfect. Okay. Uh, that's all the time we have for this week on Michigan in Focus. I wanted to thank Tom for joining me today. Make sure to subscribe to Michigan in Focus wherever you get your podcasts. We will be back next week.